Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We've been breaking these commandments, breaking these laws, hurting other people and ruining people's lives. He said, I'm coming after you and I caught you so I can bless you, so I can forgive you, so I can show mercy. That's the goodness of God. Nobody does that. Who does that? Nobody does that. No other religion has a God like our God. No other religion has a God that pursues you in love, finds you in the gutter, and pulls you out in mercy, and cleans you up, and renews you, and restores you, and repurposes. Nobody else's God does that. Most of our culture sees religion a certain way. Follow strict rules, be a good person, and get rewarded. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that this is the opposite of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus has always had you on his heart and will pursue you until you're in this kingdom forever. Stop wasting your time getting caught up in the rules and accept that he is pursuing you. Embrace the free gift of grace and follow a God who knows you and loves you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I always tell people when we come to the Word, it's a mirror not a microscope, right? Primarily, when I go to the Bible, the Bible is speaking to me about me. God's correcting me. Um, James said the word's like a mirror that you hold up to your face and you see what's going on and you make the adjustments. It's not a microscope. I, I, the word was not given that I could come put you under it and inspect you. And God said, first, it's a mirror. But this is what happens over time. You get into the mirror of the word and God begin to transform you. You learn how to get a victory. God is showing you how to help. Now you'll get to a point where you see somebody else that's where you were, and you could go help them out. You say, you know what? I used to be right there. I was, I was, I used to struggle with that same thing. I was in bondage to that very same thing, and I got convicted, and the Lord dealt with me like this. And these were the verses that God was sharing with me. You'll be in a place to be able to go help somebody else, which is way better than judgment, right? That's way better than than being a finger pointer, uh, being a put downer. Is to get to a place where God's word is transforming me and helping me. And now, as I'm being helped, I'm taking this and saying, "Boom! Let me help you." Let me pour this out. Let me share it with somebody else. And so back to back to Romans. And so again, verse two. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And so it's a request, a rhetorical question. The answer is no. God said, look, if you're judging people about things that you're doing, God said you will not escape. My judgment. I'm coming. I'm coming after that. God does not like hypocrisy. It's the one of the things in the word that he hates. I encourage everybody just on your own to go read Matthew 23. I read through the whole thing uh, just in preparation, just to hear the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus is we all know the side of Jesus is loving and merciful and gracious and kind. But read Matthew 23 and just look at um, what he says to the spiritually fraudulent. Um, those that appear this way, but they're really that way. It's harsh. God said, that's not what I want for my people. And I I think this, you know, as a a Christian, it's kind of a a relief to not be. I don't want to be a judge. I don't want to be the one to have to judge. God said, I got that. I'm the judge. You love people. I judge people. None of us have to take on the office or the position of judge. God's got that covered. Anybody's ever been in a position? I know I have where, you know, it may be a group of kids that are doing something. They're like, can you be one of the judges? No, no, I don't want to be because I got to say that one's better than that. one. I don't want to do that. I hate being in that predicament. You know, I don't want to be the one to say your talent was better than their talent. 
that's not really a, a position I'm looking for. But it's interesting when it comes to spiritual things, we'll look for that opportunity, you know. Um, and this is kind of how it works. The Pharisees, when they can put other people down, it's how they build themselves up. It's how they get to be um, something more than what they are. And it was interesting with the Pharisees is they even did it to Jesus. They said, Jesus, you, you're doing stuff on the Sabbath. You're not keeping the Sabbath the way we keep the Sabbath. And didn't understand that Jesus made the Sabbath. He came, he said, I, I got this. I made Sabbath. It's okay. But they had it all, all spun out. And so that's what religion will do. Anybody here that's ever been involved in a cult, any, been involved in maybe a really hyper uh, religious group, you'll find that there's lots of extra rules, lots of extra things. And with each extra thing that they don't do, it kind of puts them up over those that do. And if you ever get to interact with someone that's in a group like that, it's just stuffy. It's not a, it's not a blessing. I, I know people right now that's like, oh, you guys worship on Sunday. Oh, oh, man. You just mm. and, and that, that's that just that we both believe the same thing. We believe you're Christians and everything else. But you guys got the wrong day and it just puts them up just a little bit. Um, there are other groups. And, and um, I talked to somebody who in their particular group, they keep the Old Testament dietary laws for you guys that went through Exodus and Leviticus with us. I'm telling you that that's messed up. That's not a fun way to live. But they live, they today live under those restrictions and they feel really good about it. Catch you with a bacon burger. It's, oh, you going to eat that? Are you, you, are you saved? Because in Leviticus, let me show you. I'm like, are you a Levite? You a priest? You, you part of Aaron's family? You're not. So have a burger, have to pray over your food and give thanks and have your burger. But what it does with each thing, they just feel, they, it puts them up a little bit. And we don't want to be doing that to one another. This is kind of how God works. God will bring you up. God will reach down and grab us, you guys, from the pit. And he'll clean you up and he'll fill you with his spirit. And he'll show you things about himself. And God will just, he'll build you up and pull you up. And then the idea from there, God said, now reach down. And you, you reach down and start pulling other people up with you. That's what you see in scripture. When you look at those that, that were touched by God, you look at the apostles. Um, as they got moving forward, God had pulled them out from wherever they were when he found them. Fishermen, you name it. But as they got going with the Lord, they started pulling other people with them. You know, Paul came out of the gutter. Paul had a horrible testimony. Paul was responsible for killing Christians and for seeing people martyred. He had gone hard against the Lord, but he got saved. And you look at the rest of Paul's life and Paul is everywhere he went. He's ministering to churches, putting his life on the line. Paul's in prison, writing letters to encourage these brothers over here. He spent the rest of his life. Pulling people up, sending encouragement, sending correction where needed. Spent the rest of his life pulling other believers and bringing them up to a higher place. For the Christian, that should really, that should be the thing that fills our cup. That, you know, what God's doing in my life is now spilling over, you know, that my cup runneth over. That God is doing in my life is, is filling me and ministering to me and now it's spilling over and the people around me are being ministered to and blessed as well. There's an overflow from our lives. Um, that looks very different than the, the spiritual hypocrite and uh, those that are running around pointing fingers at everybody that God says, I want to just fill your cup. I want to fill you to overflow and you just be spilling over and you'll, you'll find people around you that you can help with whatever it is. And so I challenge you to consider here if you're here, you're saved and there are areas where you have experienced God's victory. Write them down. Where is God giving you victory? Is it over a substance? Is it over a, a habit? Has it been over a lifestyle? What's God blessed you to, to overcome and how did he do it? And what did he show you? And how many times did you get forgiven along the way? And how much mercy did God show you? And, and how can you take that and now take somebody else and say, let me let me at least share with you. I'm at least make myself vulnerable and tell you what God did in my life.
Because some of you guys have, have experienced, some of you guys have been helped through things that people are right now battling through. Some of you guys, God has completely delivered, given you, just healed you and ministered to you in areas where people are right now just want. And it would be so, it would be, it would minister to people to, to understand that, okay, that, so I can be brought out. God can do it. God does do it. God has done it. Um, you can be the one to show them what God would do. And so moving from here, it says in verse four, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? This verse here, it, it kind of gives a few different aspects of God's heart towards us. You got three words in verse four, his goodness, his forbearance and his long suffering. Um, they all kind of hit a different area, different, a, a different part of God's goodness towards us. First of all, God's goodness that deals with his kindness to us in terms of our past sins that God has forgiven us, um, his goodness towards us. God has been good to me. Every single one of us were lost at some point. And it was in God's goodness that while we were lost, God, God reached out, that Jesus came. He died. God sent someone to proclaim the message. All that God had to do to bring you to salvation. Jesus had to die. God, the father sent him to die. The Holy Spirit had to convict you. The spirit had to lead people, fill people to have boldness to come share with you. All this stuff is happening in the spiritual realm. You end up saved. But God is just so much work behind the scenes. That's God's goodness towards sinners who would go out of their way to be good to people that are sinning against them. Anybody here, if somebody were robbing your house every week and every you come home once a week and you find your house been ransacked again, they didn't took your stuff, broke things, you know, tore the house up. And you caught them. How many of you guys would pursue them to bless them? You know, that's not like us. Right. That's not that's I mean, I'm not judging you for that. I'm saying I'm, none of us probably you maybe somebody here say I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. You know, we be we be pursuing them to get them. I want to get them. You know, I'm setting up cameras and pit bulls and everything else. We wouldn't be pursuing them to bless them. But that's exactly what Jesus did. We've been breaking his commandments, breaking his laws, hurting other people and ruining people's lives. He said, I'm coming after you and I caught you so I can bless you, so I can forgive you, so I can show mercy. That's the goodness of God. Nobody does that. Who does that? Nobody does that. No other religion has a God like our God. No other religion has a God that pursues you in love, finds you in the gutter and pulls you out in mercy and cleans you up and renews you and restores you and repurposes. Nobody else's God does that. Nobody else's God is real anyway. But I'm just saying my God is, is good like that. And so that's the first one, the goodness of God. That's towards your past life that you didn't even get into a relationship with God unless he'd been good to you. Good enough to come after you and pursue you in your dirt and find you. But then after he found you, everybody here to say now you've been saved. Who's been perfect since salvation? Shouldn't be a, not a hand in the house. Everybody put, I saw a few people put them in their pockets. Some of y'all sitting on them. Nobody, right? So before I knew what to do and I was doing horrible, he was good to me then. The goodness of God. He came after me, he pursued me, he pursued you, he got us. Now it says the forbearance. That deals with God's goodness in regard to our present sin life. Because everybody here is still sinning. We are. We still break commandments. We still fall short of his glory. We still mess up. And God says, I, I got something for that, too. My forbearance, my goodness beforehand. Right now, my forbearance. I mean, I know what you're going to do and I watch you do it and I still love you. That what is that like? I always like to use the story of Hosea. God told the prophet Hosea, I want you to go out and marry a wife that's a harlot. Don't nobody do that, by the way. Nobody does that. God does that, though. God making a, he's making a point. 
Hosea obediently goes out. He finds a woman that's a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. He marries her, takes her to be his wife. And they begin to have kids. The first kid, he's questioning whether it's his. Maybe she's been he's not sure if she's been faithful. The second kid, he knows it's not his. And the third kid, he knows it's not his. She's been unfaithful in the marriage. Then she left him to go back to her harlotry, it says. And then God spoke to him again and says, now go again and love a woman who is being loved by a lover. So Hosea 3, 1 or 2. God says, now that I had you marry somebody that wasn't really qualified wife material from the get go. Now that you married her and took her and now she's been unfaithful in the marriage and you were dealing with that. Now she left you and she's out there right now selling herself. I want you to go get her back and take her to be your wife. And God says, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. So I look at that story over here and say, you married a prostitute? God told you to marry a prostitute? She cheated on you. She had kids that weren't yours. Then she went back. She's out there on the street right now. Get you a divorce. God said, no, go get her. Go get her and take her back. Just like how I love you. And so when I read forbearance, guys, I knew you weren't great when I picked you, but I picked you. And now that I got you, not perfect, but I want you. And he went, he went and bought her back. I mean, he had to go buy his wife and she was cheap. And I'm not being funny, but when you look at what he had to buy her with, her, her value was not great. He had to go purchase his own wife back. And God said, that's how I love you. That I come after you, I pursue you, I buy you back. And for anybody here that's walked with the Lord, walked away and come back. That's what it's like. God says, forbearance. I got room for you to come back. Who else does that? Who else has a God that will do that? That will say, in the, I mean, right now you're doing what you're doing, but if you'll come back, I'll take you. But God does that. He takes us back. And we know that. And some, some people take advantage of that. Some people kind of, they abuse that. But it really should minister to us that God will take you back. That you can come back to him at any point. That you haven't fallen so far. That you haven't gotten so deep out there that God won't take you back. He'll take you back. Hosea took Gomer back and God said, that's how I love you guys. It's a love, I love you, period. You haven't earned it. You really can't mess it up. I love you. So that's the forbearance. That's the, the goodness of God deals with my, my past sins taken care of. The forbearance of God deals with my, my current life of sin, that God's still there to minister to me in that. And then the last one in verse four says the long suffering. And this has to do with the fact that God's kindness in regard to my future. God, God knows that I'm going to continue to fall short. God knows that there's long. The word long suffering is two words, and they mean just that to suffer for a long time, waiting on people to get it, waiting on people to, to, to really get it. Guys, I'll suffer long with you. He's long suffering. And these are all things that we struggle to do for other people, but it's been done for us. Who here has struggled to, to suffer for a long time with someone else's mess? Most of us. You know, now, if you're suffering with my mess, I, you know, I, I, I expect you to get over it. You say, right? You know, but when it's other people's mess, we struggle with that. We struggle to be long-suffering, to suffer. You know, this is the fifth time. I'm sick of this. You need to get it together. But God says, now, how many times... We ain't even counting no more. Everybody here tell the truth. We, can you even count? I mean, how long has God's long suffering been with you? Can you put a number on it? No, it's uncountable. Can't count it. But he's still, he's still there loving you. So God says, this is where the word should hit us. Like when I meditate on what God's done for me, God says, this is why you can't be judging. This is why you can't be harsh and condemning towards other people. This is why God doesn't accept it. Because God's like, look, look at what I've done for you. Now, I want you to at least be you could never you guys in this room. Nobody here could ever sin against me 
to the degree that I've sinned against God. You can sin against me. You can hurt me real bad. You can do really difficult things. But my sin debt with God is so deep. You couldn't even you don't have the capacity that you can't even catch up. And so God said, whatever they do to you, whatever someone else has done, look at what I've done for you. I want you to meet people with that same thing. And so a believer that understands this should just end up being very gracious, merciful, loving individual. You guys agree? And so that's God's goodness towards us. Again, in, in those three words, the, his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering. And then this next thing, it says not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Again, my flesh, my mind says, you know what? It's going to be, you know, people going to get it. That's going then they're going to get it. Then they're going to finally repent. Anybody here feel that way with some people you think they just need to get it. And when they when they finally when God spank them real good. And for some people, that's what it's going to take. But do you know that spankings are also the goodness of God? Some people don't know that God will spank you in goodness. That's not a bad thing. Some people think God's punishing them. God, that's actually if God spanks you and it stops you saved you. That's the goodness of God. Anybody here that's been under the discipline of God, it's a good thing because he only disciplines those that are his. He don't discipline that other guy's kids. The non-believers don't get the discipline of the Lord. God said, but I chase in mine. Those that bear my image, those that have, I, I, I spank my kids. If you've ever been disciplined by the Lord, it should tell you two things. Uh, the encouragement, I belong to the Lord. Uh, the second part, you shouldn't want to do it again because God's discipline ain't no joke. You don't want to fall under it. But even in that, even in God's spanking, it's a good thing because God is saying, I'm not going to just let you go. I'm not going to just let you just go out there and ruin. I'm, I'm going to intervene with a spanking. And for anybody here that's got kids, you know, I, I got four and uh, I'm, I believe in the Bible. I believe in spanking my kids uh, when need be. Um, do I enjoy it? Never. I've never enjoyed spanking a kid. You know, I was just, you know, we were talking to Harmony the other day in the presence of my youngest kid. BJ has gotten, you know, he, he probably have gotten the lion's share of spankings in my house. Harmony was the unique child. She was like, she got two spankings in her lifetime, you know. And so BJ heard that. He said, two? Two? And he was, he was flabbergasted. I'm like, he said, two spankings? I said, yep, I can remember both of them. And you know, I'm just sharing, you know, sharing that with him. And he just couldn't believe he fell over. You know, I said, yeah. And, and they were both really young. And um, and she got it, you know, got them a couple spankings. And, you know, the, the last one I remember, she was really, I mean, she was small. And I remember I was in the bedroom and they were in the living room and Mika told her to do something. And she said, no. And I don't I don't know. But y'all do how y'all do. But my kids can't say no. You, you can say Okay, you could, you could be, you could just start moving slow, but you're not gonna say no. And she was like, no. And I was like, I jumped up out the bed. And I went. And I said, what did you say? So I said, no. I said, why did you say I don't want to do it? <laughs> went in the room, and I, I took her in the room and gave her a spanking and talked to her afterwards. And, I, and she never did it again. <laughs> it was like a, you know, more sophisticated now. You know, they, they won't say no. They just take a long time to do it. You know, but. Um, you know, in that, that was, that was, that was, I mean, that was a difficult thing to do, right? But what if that had become a habit? What if she had at three, four was telling us no, and that would have grown into five and six? Heck no. And she'd be the teenager and I'm going to stop right there. You know, like, what would that have looked like progressively? You know, it would have been good. But just the fact that she understood you don't have that option. It was good for her. And we did that in love. Oh, we love my babies, you know? Um, so the Lord said, man, when I discipline you. It's love. I care about you. My discipline is a demonstration of my care 
for you. My concern for you. Um, it would be a scary thing if there were no discipline. If God said, I just you just do whatever you want. No consequence. You have to look up and wonder if, if you're his. But if you've been spanked and disciplined and you don't have to wonder, you know. Uh, and I say it like this. If I go to a Toys R Us, I see another kid falling out. I look at them kids like, man, I mean, that's ridiculous. And I remember when my kids were little, they would look like, ooh, if that was me, ooh, they need, you know, they knew that that was supposed to be. You can't do that. You can't fall out when somebody tells you no. But I would just observe it. They ain't my kids. I don't spank them. I don't discipline them. I don't say. I laugh. You know, I just, that's, that's, that's crazy, you know. But that's not my kid. That's, I don't, there's no interaction. I don't walk over and say, boy, don't talk to your mother. That's, that's between y'all. I didn't raise you. I didn't bring you. You're not, your last name, not Buffington. I don't get to say nothing. Um, so the Lord chastens those that are his. And even in that, it's love. Uh, it's God loving us, caring for us. And so God says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Uh, his goodness could come in discipline. And many times the goodness just described where God's been merciful and you don't deserve it. God's anybody here ever just been messing up and then God do something good for you. God said, man, and, and that's what he uses. God says, sometimes it's going to be my goodness that's just going to overwhelm you uh, where you just say, I just, just got to repent. I got it so good. I just need to obey him. I just need to humble myself. Look how good he is. I'm, I'm, look how good he is and how bad I am. When someone's good to you, while you being bad, your badness look even worse. And so with the Lord, many times you be cutting up and you know it. You ain't doing devotions. You're not living right at home. You're not doing other things you're supposed to be doing. And then God just go, bam, bless you. And you'd be sitting there like, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to do better. You know, you just know I, I just not right. You know, that's many times God's guys. I'm going to just bless you. I'm going to just be good. And if some of y'all head so hard, God be good to you while you bad and you get worse and he got to spank you. But that's good, too. So, you know, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Verse five. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so few things when we look at the judgment of God in verse two, it told us that the, the judgment of God is according to, to truth in verse Three, the judgment of God is inescapable. He's not going to escape it. In verse four, it's the goodness of God that brings us to a place of repentance. But look at verse five. It says that for those that are living this way habitually, you're actually treasuring up wrath. You're treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. For those that just resist God in spite of all this, God said it's like storing up wrath. One of the commentators that I read had a story and it, it was a banker from the 1800s. And this banker had decided that he was going to steal a silver dollar every day. And he knew how to work the books and get it to where he could get away with it. And he did it for weeks and months and years. And every day he stole a silver dollar and he was putting them up in his attic. And so many years have gone by. His attic is, is full of money. And one day, and I believe this was a true story, while he slept, uh, there was dry rot. Uh, holding up the attic and the wood in the attic and that attic caved in and all them silver coins that he stole fell on him and crushed him and he died. I mean, think about that. He stored up his own judgment. I mean, every time you put another coin up there, uh, it weighed a little bit more and it weighed a little bit more and it finally all caved in on him. And that's how he died. And so when God says that they're storing up wrath, when someone just rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord, every rejection you're going to give an account for every single rejection who wants that when you could receive the Lord and, and have a clean slate? The person that receives the Lord, God said, all your sins are washed away. It's gone. 
You are, you are clean Jew. Now when the him who's able to present you faultless before the Lord, that, that's what God does for the believer. But for the person that rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects, God said, you are, it's like storing up that wrath. It's getting heavy. It's going to fall one day and it's going to be horrific. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. While wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word, on our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.